James chapter 1. I want to talk to you about the height of Christian humility. And humility is a hard thing to live in. About the time you think you're humble, you get prideful about your humility. Can I have a witness out there? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. But Jesus was by far, hands down, the most humble person ever to walk on the face of the earth. And if we're going to be his followers, we have to walk in humility. And in Christianity, everything has been turned topsy-turvy. To go up, you have to go down. To really be great in the eyes of God, you have to surrender yourself and humble yourself that God may exalt you. But you don't exalt yourself. You don't ever do that. You don't ever promote yourself. You don't ever brag about yourself. It is not about you. It is not about me. It is all about Jesus. So we're going to talk about the height of Christian humility. Again, James 1, 9 through 11. But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position, and the rich man is to glory in his humiliation. Because like flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and its flower falls off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. First thing James, the brother of Jesus, talks about is the high position of humble Christians, the high position of humble Christians. Look there in verse 9, but the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. The term brother obviously acknowledges the fact that at least in this portion of the text he's referring to Christians. And they are not only Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, they are brothers they are from the same womb, is what that means. They're from the same origin, and we all are. We're all from the same spiritual origin, and that is Jesus. And they are not just brothers, but they are, he's talking about the brother of humble circumstances. It's describing financial poverty. Most of the Christians in the first century were financially poor. And it's talking about somebody who is financially insignificant, Low estate, humiliation, that's what the word means, humble. And again, most of them were in that category. That's why Paul said when he opened up in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1.26, he said, Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. But James says the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. Glory in what? What are you talking about? Our high position, our rank in Jesus Christ. The poor Christian to whom he was addressing was divinely wealthy in spiritual 
riches. When somebody got saved, if they were poor, the tables were turned because Jesus said in Matthew 19, 30, but many who are first will be last. That is the people who in this world who don't know Jesus, who have all the stuff, they are last in the kingdom of God. And the last, the people who have Jesus, but they're poor, they are first in the kingdom of heaven. Everything was turned upside down. In God's economy, the poor Christian was actually first above a lost person with finances. The poor Christian was amazingly blessed. All sins forgiven. The Holy Spirit dwelling within him. Part of this beautiful family of God. Aren't you glad for the family of God that we have? God supplied his needs, and this man was on his way to heaven. He was rich. Now, the early church did not practice bias. They did not practice favoritism. We will come in a few weeks to James chapter 2, where he rebukes anyone for paying special attention when a rich man walks in, literally in the Greek, it's gold finger, when he comes in with gold all over his hands, and we put him in a special nice seat, and we see the poor man come in, we put him back over in the corner. James says, don't ever do that in the church. Don't ever even think about doing that in the church. You don't give wealthy people the special spot, and you don't embarrass poor people by putting them out at the perimeter because we're all heirs of God. Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 16 and following, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're all children of God. And if we're children, we're heirs also, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we also may be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. If we could see one glimpse of heaven, we would never complain again, ever. It's that good. These poor Christians had a very high spiritual position in Christ. Mother Teresa founded the Order of Missionaries of Charity in India. She was a Roman Catholic and she started this congregation of women dedicated to helping the poor. She devoted her entire adult life caring for sick people, caring for lepers, caring for poor people. At the time, she had been in India for 17 years and in 1946, Mother Teresa and uh, the people, the nuns in her order established, among other things, a hospice several centers, one for the blind, one for the aged, one for the disabled, and one for a leper colony, if you can imagine that. She took a vow of poverty. She said that for the rest of my life, I'm going to share the gospel. I'm going to feed the hungry. I'm going to heal the sick. I'm going to clothe the naked. I'm going to help anybody that I can. She had no money herself. She had no bank account. She had no retirement savings. She said, I'm not going to retire. I'm going to work till I die and I'll retire by going to heaven. She didn't worry about all that stuff. She was spiritually wealthy beyond measure. 
1979, even the world acknowledged her with the Nobel Peace Prize. Eighteen years later, in 1997, she died. She was one of the most staunch pro-life anti-abortion advocates we had in the world. And this little bitty tiny lady commanded a lot of authority. When she would speak, presidents would listen. You don't have to have a lot of money to be significant in the kingdom of God. That's the high position of humble Christians. Every person in this room who knows Jesus, you may have humble financial circumstances, but I want to say you are blessed beyond measure. You are blessed. A poor financial Christian is spiritually rich. Listen to what Paul said in Ephesians 2, beginning at verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, transgressions made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. He raised us up with him. He seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. By grace, you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of your works, so that no one may brag or boast, for we are his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Do you realize what you have in Christ? the riches of his mercy. All your sins have been forgiven in the greatness of his love. You are loved beyond measure. You have been made alive. You were dead in your sins, but God made you alive together <clears throat> with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. It's all a gift from God. You've been raised up with him. You've been seated with him in heavenly places. You are above all temptation. You're going to be tempted, but you have authority over that because you are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. By grace, you've been saved through faith. All of that is God's gracious gift to you. You are his workmanship. That means you are his masterpiece. You are created in Christ Jesus so that you can perform good works for the glory of God and which God has prepared beforehand so that you can walk in them. Do you realize how wealthy you are in Jesus Christ. My father is rich in houses and land. He holdeth the wealth of the world in his hands, rubies, diamonds, silver, gold. His coffers are full. He has riches untold. My father's own son, the savior of men, once wandered on earth as the poorest of them, but now he is pleading my pardon on high that I may be with him when he comes by and by. I once was an outcast. I was a stranger on earth. I was a sinner by choice. I was an alien by birth. But now I've been adopted. My name's written down. I'm an heir to a mansion, a robe, and a crown. I'm a child of the king. I'm a child of the king. In Jesus, my Savior, I am a child of the king.
Praise the living God. Let's give him glory right now. Amen. Amen. But the brother, but the brother of humble circumstances to glory in his high position. Hey, your bank account doesn't make you somebody. Jesus makes you somebody. Amen. Well, that's the high position of the humble Christian. Secondly, now let's notice the humble position of wealthy Christians. The humble position of wealthy Christians. Look at verse 10. And the rich man is to glory in his humiliation. Here, James is addressing rich, wealthy Christians. They were few in number, but there were some. Most, again, most of the first century Christians were poor, but a few were wealthy. We know of, for instance, Barnabas. He was wealthy. He gave away a lot of land, sold it for the church. Nicodemus was wealthy. Lydia of of, uh, Philippi was wealthy. And then we're told, point blank, that a man named Joseph who gave up his grave so that Jesus could be buried in, we're told that he was a believer and that he was rich. We're told that in Matthew 27. I'll read it to you, verse 57 and following. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate. By the way, he would have never had access to somebody as powerful as Pilate had he not been wealthy. That's the way the Roman system worked. And he asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body, that's the body of Jesus, and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the entrance of the tomb and went away. So there were a few wealthy Christians in the early church but they were the exception to the rule. So he said this to the rich, he said, the rich man, the rich Christian is to glory in his humiliation. He's not to glory in his wealth. He's not to glory in his money. Rather, he's to glory in his humble position, in his humiliation, in his abasement, in his lowliness. Rather than living arrogantly, rather than seeing yourself as being above the common man, rather than flaunting your riches, the wealthy Christian was to live a Christ-like life in humility. And that was diametrically in juxtaposition and opposition of the norm in the first century culture. The Roman Empire had a staunchly divided social stratum. They would find out your education, your social status, and your financial status, and they would plug you in to a social level, and they wouldn't let you out. And it was taboo to go below and associate with those kinds of people. There are still cultures today that have the same kind of social stratum that they had in the first century Roman Empire. But Christianity blew all of that out of the water. When you got saved, the ground was level at the cross. 
and nobody was seen to be better than anybody. I don't care who you are in this room, nobody is better than anybody in this room. Regardless of your social status, regardless of how much money you have or don't have, we're all children of the living God and we're all just at the feet of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to walk in humility. And that's what he said to these rich Christians in the first century. We're the same. We're the same. And we're to be like Christ. He was humble. We need to imitate Christ. Jesus said these words, probably some of the most famous words he ever said, Matthew 11, 28 through 30. He said, come to me, all who are weary, heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, here it is now, for I am gentle and what? Say it out loud. Humble in heart. And you'll find rest for your souls. He's quoting Jeremiah there. For my yoke is easy, my load is light. You want to follow Jesus? You can't be arrogant. You can't be cocky. I heard a preacher say one time, he said, I know some people that are so proud they can strut sitting down. <laughs> can't be like that. Can't be proud and boastful. Follow Jesus. Can't do it. The rich man in his glory is to glory in his humiliation. Wealthy Christians in the first century were to walk humbly with their God. Now, I know some wealthy Christians. Maybe you do too. And to be honest with you, in America, we're all wealthy compared to most people in the world. You do understand that, don't you? But even among us, there are some that have a lot of financial means, and they glory, the ones I know, glory in their humiliation. In fact, if you know who some of these people that I'm talking about, you really would never know that they were wealthy. They don't live in homes that would tell you they're wealthy. They don't tell you about their wealth. They don't talk about it. They're just common people. And the more you're around them, you realize they're constantly thinking about giving more than they are taking. And they help people, and they do it like Jesus said. They do it anonymously so that they don't get any glory and the person they help does not get embarrassed. They, as I heard one preacher say years ago, they find a need and they meet it. They find a hurt and they heal it. Jesus said, beware. And by the way, I've told you many times now, I'm going to tell you more. The greatest commentary on the Sermon on the Mount is the book of James. And Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, don't blow a trumpet. Don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues, in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. 
Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you give to the poor, when you give alms, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing so that your, your giving will be in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. You don't need to be going around bragging about how much you've given to somebody. You lose all of your reward with Jesus when you do that. You get the glory and God will, look, God will not share his glory with you or me or anybody else. And you say, well, what is he? Is he vain? Is that why he won't share? No, no, no. Only God can handle his glory. His glory is so glorious, it would burn you up if you had it. You don't want the glory of God. Give it all to him. When you give somebody something, when you buy somebody, let, let's say you're out eating, and don't tell me you don't do it. I see you. I do it. I go out to eat. And when you're out and you have just this thought, you see a family and you thought, you know, I, I probably ought to pay for their meal. Hey, look at me. Do you have that thought? Do it. And get the waiter to come over. Don't go over and grab their check, all doing all that. Just Tell the waiter, I'd like to pay for that, and don't tell them who did it. That's one way to do it. And by the way, when you go out to eat, would you be nice to the waiter and the waitress? Uh, it's bad when you pray at your meal, and then you fuss at people about your food, all right? Bless your heart. They gave you broccoli instead of butter beans. Bless your heart. <laughs> Just be thankful that you got something to eat. Amen? Don't rag on these people. That's, not, that's, that's free. That's just a little free gift for you. I didn't, that's not even in my notes. Don't be arrogant. Walk in humility. Why? Because you follow somebody who said walk in humility. Jesus. Hey, I got news for you. Jesus was a homeless man. He said in Luke 9, 58, Jesus said to them, the foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus, uh, I'm going to send you something. What's your address? Don't have one. I just go wherever my Father leads me. What if I told you we're going to have a revival in a month and a homeless man is going to be preaching some of y'all think, you've lost your mind. No. What if it was Jesus? When he died, he owned only the clothes on his back, and they gambled for them at the foot of the cross. I'm not saying you shouldn't have financial means, but I am saying you need to hold them like this. Because you don't own them anyway. They were given to you. Even if you worked hard, God kept your heart pumping and your mind working. He gave you the 
intellectual and physical wherewithal to earn a living and you don't own anything, anything you have is just passing through you. You're just a little caretaker. You're not supposed to grab it. You're supposed to hold your hand open. And whenever God says, give it, you give it. And whenever God says, you keep it, you keep it. But it doesn't belong to you. You came into this world naked. You're going out naked. And guess what? Stuff doesn't matter. Don't be in love with the things of this world. Don't do it. Don't do it. Did you know that in order for us to go to heaven, God had to make us spiritually rich because we are spiritually impoverished in and of ourselves. And so Jesus in heaven, who was spiritually rich, became spiritually impoverished coming to this earth. He became poor so that we could become spiritually rich. You say, where in the world did you get that? Glad you asked. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. You are rich in blessings right now if you know Jesus Christ. Christ. He left his riches so you could become spiritually rich. And the last time I checked, the goal, the one goal of the Christian life is to be like Jesus. Not just to know all the scriptures, great, that's wonderful, but the reason you get in the scripture is to fall deeply in love with Jesus. The reason you pray is to fall in love with Jesus. It is all the reason you witness is to brag on Jesus. The reason you come to worship is to worship Jesus. Your life is about Jesus. That's why Paul said, for me to live is Christ. Do you love this Savior who is more precious than anything on this earth? The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Jesus, don't know, don't tell me he wasn't wealthy. He could feed 5,000 families at one time with a little boy's lunch. Amen? Don't tell me. He had access to wealth. All right? in, in other words, he, he, was, he was tapping into the Father's riches. Amen? He was wealthy in spiritual riches. And so are you if you know the Lord. But if God has given you financial means, think more about giving than you have in the past. That's the humble position of wealthy Christians. Now, very quickly, there's a third category. We've looked at poor Christians wealthy Christians. Now we're going to look at lost people. The hard position of worldly people. We've looked at the high position of the humble Christians, the humble position of the wealthy Christians, now the hard position of the worldly people. Look at verse 10, because like flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind, withers the grass, its flower falls off, its beauty, the beauty of its appearance is destroyed, so too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will pass 
and fade away. James says, first of all, let me tell you what's going to happen. If you don't know the Lord, and even if you do know the Lord, let me just tell you what's ahead of you. And for all you people out there, he's saying, that don't know Jesus, let me just remind you some hard, hard things here, hard positions. Number one, he said, their bodies, your body's going to deteriorate. Look at verse 11. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass and its flower falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. These wealthy, lost people thought they'd live forever. You know, I talk to people all the time. They, they just, they don't even, they don't even think about death. They, oh, I'm going to live forever, man. Maybe, maybe not. But in time, even if you do, do live to be 70 or 80, in time, your body is going to deteriorate. It's going to grow old. It's going to wither. Why? Look at the verse. Look at the verse. For the sun rises. Say that with me. For the sun rises. You know what he's saying there? How do people get old? One day at a time. One day at a time. How do you get old? Just keep breathing. It happens. One day at a time. The sun rises and it sets. I want to say this to you. I heard somebody say years ago, you better figure it out. Sometimes days can seem long, but years are short. Time goes by quickly, a day at a time. And it is a scorching wind. Notice that. The sun rises with a scorching wind. Some days are scorchers, amen? They're tough. And it just keeps on hitting you. And you can work out and you can eat right. And I encourage you to do that. That's wonderful. I work out. I try to eat right. Try is the operative word. You know, when you don't drink and dance, all you've got is eating. Amen. So, I mean, come on with it. <laughs> Sun rises. Scorching wind withers your body. I was stretching the other day, about to do some exercises, and my body sounded like a bowl of Rice Krispies. <laughs> Snap, crackle, and pop. Can I get a witness out there? Anybody with me out there? I'm telling you, man, nowadays when I bend over, I'm going to pick something up. I look around to see if there's anything else I need to do while I'm down there. Amen. <laughs> I just, it's too much effort to do it twice in one day. Charles, don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about down there. Right? That's why it's so hard for folks to recognize you at your high school reunion. <laughs> That's why it's hard for you to recognize them. Our flower falls off. That's what he says. The beauty of our appearance is destroyed. We get older. In the end, wrinkles win. You say, Brother Steve, this is blessing me so much. I, I just appreciate this. I, I, this is going to bless me all week long. I, I'm so appreciative of this. Thank you, Brother Steve. That's a hard position for worldly people because all they've got is this life. That's all they got. Ah, but something else, not only does your body deteriorate, 
your body's going to die. Look at verse 10. Because the flowering grass, like flowering grass, he will pass away. There's going to come a time where you're going to die. Death is no respecter of persons. You're going to die. There was a woman from Tekoa who came to King David, the most powerful man on the earth at that time, and said this to him in 2 Samuel 14, 14, for we will all surely die. And we're like water spilled on the ground which cannot be gathered up again. That's pretty bold stuff to be talking to a king. Well, David picked up on it, and later on in Psalms, he said in Psalm 90, verse 10, as for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 years, yet their pride is but labor and sorrow, for soon it is gone, and we all fly away. You're going to die. You're going to die. Hebrews 9, 27 says, inasmuch as it's appointed for all men to die once, and after that the judgment. Why do we die? Because Adam sinned. We weren't supposed to die. We're supposed to live. But Adam and Eve committed a sin that brought death into the world. And God said in Genesis 3, 19, God said this to Adam. He said, by the sweat of your face, you're going to eat bread till you return to the ground because from it you were taken for your dust and to dust you shall return. Paul said in Romans, he gave the spiritual side of that in Romans 5, 12. He said, therefore, just as through one man, Adam, sin entered into the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because we've all sinned. We're all gonna die because of sin. That's a hard position for worldly people. Worldly people don't go around talking about death. They don't talk about deterioration of body. They sure don't talk about this third thing that he talks about here. And not only are they going to die, worldly lost, lost people, they're going to die and deteriorate, and then they're going to die. But when they die, their business and their busyness disappears. Oh, there's nothing wrong about working hard. My parents were hard workers. Daddy worked on the railroad, hard worker. Mom worked in the janitorial business, hard worker. But they both knew Jesus. But I know people that all they have is their business. They don't have the Lord. They just are so busy, busy, busy in their business, business, business. But one day when they die, it's going to be all gone. Notice what he says in verse 11, the last part. So the, to the rich man, in the midst of his pursuits, in the midst of his personal affairs, his pleasures, his enjoyment of a luxurious life, in the midst of this, this man who has not had time for God, has not had time for church, has not had time to read the Bible or to pray, has not had time to listen to the gospel and repent and believe savingly in Jesus and receive him as Lord and Savior, has even neglected his own family, his wife and his children because of his business and his busyness, his pursuits were the main thing. And the Bible says they will all fade away. Some of you think you're building a great kingdom. It is a sand castle. And one little wave is going to wipe it out. It's called death. That's a hard position for worldly people. But I got one more for you. It's not in the text, but it's in the Bible. If you're lost, poor or wealthy, 
and you die lost, you will live forever in a place called hell. Do you know who talked about hell more than anybody else in the Bible? Jesus. If you don't believe in hell, you're calling Jesus a liar. Jesus talked more about hell than he did about heaven. When I say those things, people look at me like, you've lost your mind. No, I haven't. I'm telling you the truth. Jesus didn't just talk about a heaven to gain. He talked about a hell to shun. He said in Matthew 25, 41 and 46, then he, that is the father, will also say to those on his left, these are lost people, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. And then he said in verse 46, these will go away into eternal punishment. We just got through reading and going through the book of Revelation last year. And in Revelation 20, verse 15, almost at the very end of the, the book, it says, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was cast, thrown, thrown away into the lake of fire. There is nothing in this book about purgatory where a place that after you die, I'm going to have a chance to have my sins purged in purgatory. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Nothing in this book about anything like purgatory. Nothing in this book about reincarnation. Well, I'm going to get in, you know, I didn't get it in this cycle, but in the circle of life, I'm going to come back. No, you're not. No, you're not. It is appointed unto men once to die. And after that, not reincarnation, not another shot, but judgment. And there's nothing in this Bible about cessation of spirit. I hear it all the time. I talk to people, I just believe preacher that when you die, you die and you turn into dust. Well, your body does. But the minute your soul is released from your body, and that's all death is, is when your soul leaves your body. That's it. I just told you what death is. It's amazing to me. You talk to philosophers. We can't define death. Yes, you can. Your soul leaves your body. There you go. And your soul is going to leave your body one of these days. And when it does, you don't die. When you die, you don't die. Your soul and your spirit immediately go to hell or heaven based on what you did in this life. And do you know what the best picture of somebody's life, it's in every graveyard on most every tombstone. It's that little bitty line we call a dash right between their birth date and their death date. How many of you know that I don't care if you live 100 years in God's economy, it's still a dash. It goes by quickly. Does anybody believe that? Anybody believe life goes by quickly? I'm telling you it does. And that little dash, what you do in that dash with Jesus Christ determines where you're going to be a million years from today. Amen. For lost people, it's hell forever. Remember the story of the rich young ruler, Mark 10, 17 and following, and Jesus was setting out on a journey. A man ran up to him, knelt before him, asked him, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. You know the commandments, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't defraud. Honor your father and your mother. He said to him, teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him. I believe Jesus wanted to save this guy. 
Guy didn't get saved, but I believe Jesus wanted to save him. He felt the love for him, said to him, one thing you lack, go and sell all your possessions, all you possess, and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. I want to ask you, let's just pause there for a minute. I'll pick up in verse 22 in just a moment. I don't know, but I have been thinking about this and comparing it to something that happened in the Old Testament. Do you remember in Genesis 22 when God came to Abraham and he had promised Abraham, he said, through Isaac will be your descendants. And then he says in Genesis 22, take now your son, talking about Isaac, the son that you love, your only son, and offer him as a sacrifice in a place that I will tell you. And he obeys. He takes Isaac. They go to Mount Moriah. He puts him up there. He takes the knife. He's about to slay his son as a sacrifice. And God says, stop. I didn't want you to do it. I was testing you to see if you love me even more than your precious son. You say, God has no right. Oh, wait a minute. Stop. God sent his precious son and let him die. So don't tell me God doesn't have the right. I wonder sometimes with this rich young ruler, because God had wealthy people in the church. I wonder if he was saying, you know what? You've got an idol in your heart. And until I remove that, it's like a cancer in your soul. You own all this property. Are you willing to give it up? And maybe if he had said, yes, we don't know, but maybe Jesus would have said, okay, you can keep it now, but use it for the glory of God. I don't know. I've thought that. Be that as it may, verse 22, but at these words, he was saddened. He went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. How many of you know that he didn't own the property? The property owned him. How many of you know that? That's what happened. He was owned by his wealth. And Jesus looking around and said this to his disciples. Now, this is going to blow your mind. Some of y'all is going to blow your mind. I'm telling you, listen to this now. How hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's going to be hard for rich people to get saved. What? That's exactly what they said. The disciples were amazed at his words. Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. I have heard theologians try to explain that. Well, what he really means, let me tell you what he really means. Go get a camel and go get a needle and push that camel through the needle. That's what he meant. Quit messing around with the word of God. He was trying to say it's impossible. It's easier to do this Push a camel through. I'm going to tell you something. They're so nasty. I wouldn't want to push them through anything. Amen. They're, they're nasty. If you've never seen one, go to Israel sometime. Nasty. <laughs> they were even more astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Look at them. Jesus said, with people, everything I'm talking about is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible. How many of you know that God can save anybody? Amen. Amen. He can save anybody. But it's harder for rich people to get saved because they don't feel like they need anything. You got to become needy before you get saved.
If you are a relatively poor Christian, rejoice. You're in a high position spiritually. All your sins have been washed away. Holy Ghost is in you. You got the family of God. You're going to heaven. Life's good. Life's good. If you are a wealthy Christian, you better stay humble and small enough for God to use you. God doesn't need you. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need you. You need him. If you're a wealthy Christian, you walk humbly with God. And I can tell you this. We will not favor wealthy Christians above poor Christians at Bellevue Baptist Church. We will not do it. We will not do it. And we won't favor poor Christians above wealthy Christians. We're all on the same level, amen? All on the same level, everybody. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus, if you are wealthy or poor and you don't know the Lord, be saved today. I'll just read it one more time and we'll be through. But the brother of humble, let's all read it together. Let's all stand up. Let's all read this together, okay? How many of you, God's speaking to you through the book of James? Anybody? I got my hands up. He's wearing me out in this stuff. I'll tell you what. All right, let's read it together. Here we go. But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. And the rich man is to glory in his humiliation because like flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass and its flower falls off and its beauty of its appearance is destroyed, so too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Father, help us, help us to magnify, oh, the height of Christian humility. In Jesus' name we pray. And if that's your prayer, say amen.